Well, hey again, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, December is here. Y'all, worship was right on this morning. Amen. Um, I love this season of the year. <clears throat> Let me put in a quick plug before we jump into the sermon. Uh, this morning, uh, just a couple other dates coming up. Christmas Eve services uh, will be at 4 and 5.15 p.m. Uh, on Christmas Eve, which is December 24th, obviously, and that is a Saturday. Uh, so we'll have two Christmas Eve services, identical, 45 minutes, family-friendly. So I invite you to, to be there or to uh, and to invite folks with you as well. Um, There will be no Christmas Day services on Sunday morning, the 25th, so enjoy that morning uh, with your family. Uh, And then we'll also have a uh, one worship service on uh, New Year's Day, Sunday, January the 1st. It will be at 1045. Uh, We'll have a little bit more worship that morning. uh, Our friend Andrew Poston will be with us that morning as well as Christmas Eve, so we'll do a little bit more worship and we'll just start off the year uh, praising the Lord together. So just wanted to put those dates out in front of you uh, before we start today. So we are in the year of discipleship and we're finishing this uh, F260 Bible reading plan. We're in week number 49, so there's four more weeks. Uh, And so So you can still finish strong if you haven't joined us or maybe you've kind of tailed off in your reading. Jump in with us week 49. There's uh, a few more Bible reading plans left at Next Steps. Uh, I'm going to get rid of all of those before the end of the year. All right. So if you haven't grabbed one, grab one. You can also access it on our website, friendshipwired.com. So we're in this eighth and final series called All Things New. We've been tracing the story of God through the, through the Bible, through the Word of God, and we're coming to the end. And, uh, you know, approaching the end of anything, whether it's, you know, um, a, a year or a season in your life, approaching the end of anything can be bittersweet. Sometimes it's more bitter, sometimes it's more sweet, right? Uh, and for me, this year has been incredible. I will look back uh, for years to come, I believe, on this year with fondness and the way that the Lord has worked in my life and in our church's life. Uh, approaching the end of, of this year, for me, it, it's, I'm, I'm a little sad to end this season, um, but I'm really excited for the next season, what God has for, for us as a church, for, uh, for me personally. Uh, I'm just really excited. Um, but approaching the end of something, again, is bittersweet. And what we're going to do today is we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, and we're literally at the end of the Apostle Paul's life. And, uh, you know, if, if you know the story of Paul, uh, if you've been tracking along with us, or maybe you're not familiar with it, uh, Paul started out, his name was Saul. He was a very zealous Jew and a Pharisee, this religious leader who, who started out, the beginning of his story, when you see him in the book of Acts, was he was a persecutor of what was called the way, the way of Jesus, which was the church. And, and, and along the way, along his journey, uh, Jesus quite literally intersected his path on the road to Damascus and changed his life. And so Saul went from being this persecuting uh, religious Pharisee to this uh, faithful Christ-following missionary. And God used the Apostle Paul to take the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth and to plant churches. And, and here we are at the end of Paul's life in Second Timothy, where Paul finds himself now in a Roman prison. So I want to give you a little bit of context before we jump into 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy is a short uh, little book of the Bible, four chapters long. Um, This is Paul's second imprisonment in Rome. Now, if you you recall, uh, or if you were in the Bible reading, at the end of the book of Acts, uh, 
Paul found himself in Rome, in prison. And, and so this is his second imprisonment. It's about five or six years after that first one in the, at the conclusion of the book of Acts. We're talking about A.D. 66 or 67. That first imprisonment, Paul was under house arrest, so he had a lot of freedom. So there was a lot of relationships still taking place, uh, a lot of ministry that Paul had. Uh, but this second imprisonment is, is much different. He's isolated in a cold cell by himself. He's in chains and really has no hope of deliverance. Ch tradition and church history would tell us that, that, um, that Paul would be martyred uh, during this time uh, under the, the Christian persecution of, of Nero. Uh, tradition says that he was beheaded. So we are quite literally at the end of the Apostle Paul's life on earth. And, and this, this, this book that we're going to jump, jump into today, 2 Timothy, it's one of what we call the pastoral epistles. So Paul wrote three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, to these two young pastors, Timothy and Titus. And so this is one of those letters, these young pastors that, that Paul is leading. But it's not just for pastors. Uh, it's for any follower of Jesus to help us understand how to live in these last days. And so 2 Timothy is a pastoral epistle. The theme of the book of 2 Timothy, and you need to hear this because this is what we're talking about today, is gospel endurance. Gospel endurance. So Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, he encourages him to endure suffering. And he encourages him to endure false teachers. And, and, and Paul gives some examples of, of those who have failed to endure in their faith. And then he gives some examples of those who have endured in their faith to the end. Paul even uses himself and gives his own stellar example of, of endurance in the faith. And that's what we'll see this morning. And in essence, what, what Paul is doing in this letter to Timothy is he's just writing to him shortly uh, before the end of his life. It's a very personal letter written to a young man named Timothy who he sees as a son in the faith. And it's shortly before his death. And he's encouraging him, Timothy. He's handing off the baton and saying, okay, endure to the end. Endure to the end of your gospel ministry. Endure to the end of your life. And he uses himself really as, as an example. And so I want to read, before we get into the, the actual text this morning, we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy 4. I'm going to read the, the, the passage before the passage, all right? And if you've been in church any length of time, you probably recognize these verses um, that, that Paul pens here. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So let me explain what he's saying here. He's describing himself and his life as a, as a drink offering. So he's in essence saying, like, it's, we're coming to the end of, of this cup. We're coming to the end of my life. My life has been an offering to the Lord. And, and, and my time of departure, he says, is at hand. So how many of y'all have, have been to an airport and, and flown on an airline before? A uh, good number of you. Um, so you know the process, right? You, you come to the airport, you do the whole TSA thing and, you know, take off your shoes and your belt and all the stuff and they pat you down, you walk through and, and then, you know, you go to your gate uh, and then you sit and wait, right? You sit and wait and wait and wait until you, you hear the boarding call. 
So at some point, a voice comes over you know, the intercom and says, uh, attention passengers, uh, flight so-and-so to city and state or country, whatever, uh, is, is preparing to board, so make your way to the gate. And so you, know, you see people start to uh, get up to approach the, the, you know, the, the, the gate. Um, and you know, all the amateurs jump up right away and jump in line. Like, they don't know that you're gonna have to still wait forever, right? And then the pros are sitting back like, mm, I'm just gonna sit until it's my turn, right? So you're waiting for this boarding call because it means departure is imminent right? It's, well, well, we'll board the plane, and then we'll sit on the plane for a while, and then we may, you know, taxi out, and it's, it's coming. It's coming, all right? Departure is at hand, and, and this is really what, what Paul says here is, is my time of departure has come. Literally, I'm on the doorstep of, of, of leaving this life. This is where Paul is at, so he, he, he writes these words. Verse number seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Wouldn't y'all love to speak those words like confidently at the end of your life? Man, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I'm finishing strong. I have no regrets. This is where Paul was at. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul was finishing strong. He says, I've, I've lived for God. I've lived for the Lord. I've given my life for the gospel. I, in essence, have no regrets. I'm finishing my, my race, this fight. I've kept the faith. Because you all know this. It's, it's easy to start something, right? It's, it's a whole different thing to, to finish something, to finish something well, to finish strong. It's easy to, to come out of the gates fast and then lose your momentum. Um, you know, Paul is saying, I fought the good fight. I didn't just last a round or two. I mean, I, I stuck it out through 12 rounds. I, I took the beating and I've made it to the end. I've, I've finished the race. If you've been around the last six months, you know that I've, I've started running. And uh, one of the things I've learned, it's, a lot of it's about endurance. And, and here's one major thing that I've learned. And I don't know if this is true for those that are the pros in the room. You might, you might, uh, it might be different the longer I run. But here's what I've discovered for myself after six months of running is that almost 99% of the time, how I start running is not how I finish. <laughs> so when I start fast, guess what? I'm like dragging myself across the finish line at the end. But if I start slow, if I pace myself from the beginning, there's a good chance, not always, but most of the time I will finish strong. Uh, and those are my favorite when, man, I started off kind of uh, just pacing myself and then I, for some reason I finished man, so strong. It's easy to start something, much more difficult to actually finish strong. And I could give you all kinds of, of practical examples, uh, thoughts of that. If you are a football fan, it's the same as you know, starting a season strong, but then you know, losing at the end, um, starting a game strong, but then you know, tailing off at the end. It's so much better to end well, right? You want to end with more points than the other. It's not how many you score in the first half. It's how you finish, and, and we could go on and on with different examples, I think just practically. Um, I think there's maybe nothing more beautiful than a marriage that started off really rocky and maybe having a difficult time. Like, are we gonna make it? But over the, the, the years and the decades, grow strong and mature and healthy and 
God-honoring. And some of you, that's your story. And, and I think there's nothing beauti- more beautiful than, than that. Uh, some of you have worked in an occupation or a job where you started out going, I don't know about this. And over the years, and as you've endured, like it's become something that you enjoy and even, even love. So here's what we're talking about this morning. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so what we see as Paul comes to the end of his life, here's the question, what's important to Paul? When it comes to the end, when it comes to that, that, that boarding call moment of his life, what were the things that he looks back on? What are the important things that he rejoiced in? And so that's what we're going to see this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the passage today. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us today. It's, it's, it, your mercies are brand new, and we're just grateful for that today. And Lord, we just pray that as we uh, open your word, as we see the words of Paul, Lord, I just thank you for first his example. Uh, I thank you for his instruction. I thank you for his life, which um, gives us a model to follow. And yet even more so than that, God, I'm just grateful for your word that instructs us and your spirit that guides us and empowers us to live the lives that you've uh, called us to live, uh, that we, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it because you are with us and you empower us to do that by your spirit. And so, uh, Lord, as we consider gospel endurance, as we consider um, our lives, as we consider what it's going to look like when we come to the end of our lives, the, the things that are most important, um, God, I pray that you'd help us to see those things through a gospel lens, through the lens of your word and your love and your grace for us. Lord, help us to respond um, the way that we need to respond today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 18, what's important to Paul in the end? And, and this is really easy coming off of those verses we just saw. Uh, I mean, you kind of look at that and you're like, man, that is, that is the, you know, the, the climax of, his, of, of what Paul is saying here. Like, I've, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight. But there, and then there's these like, kind of concluding comments to his letter to Timothy. And it's easy to just kind of write those off and say, well, he's just, it's kind of like before you get off the phone and you're just kind of wrapping up and you know, we can discard all those final comments. Uh, but no, 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 there's some really important stuff that I want us to see in verses nine through 18 that I think reflect reflect what was important to Paul in the end of his life. And so 2 Timothy 4, we're going to read verses 9 through 18. He says in this letter to Timothy, he says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Uh, Luke alone is with me. Uh, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. I feel like Paul is doing like a spoken word here. All these names and locations rhyme. Okay, you all didn't find that funny. I, I found it amusing. Um, Crescens to Galatia, Titus, Dalmatia, Tychicus, Ephesus. It's Okay, so moving on. Verse number 13. <laughs> this is your first time reading it. I've read this many times. When you come, he says to Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with uh, Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. 
But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so there's a lot of thoughts here. And when you initially read through it, they seem very disconnected and disjointed. But I want to make some sense of these kind of final comments. What was important to Paul? Three things I want to see this morning. First thing is this. Who is with me? Who is with me? And he's talking about the people. So what you notice in these few verses here, verses 9 through 12, is, is Paul just starts rattling off some names. And, and so the people were important to him in the end. Verse number 9, the first thing he says to Timothy is, is Timothy, come to me soon. Do your best to come to me soon. He, he, he says the same thing really in verse number 21. Do your best to come to me before winter. So he, he's saying, you know, winter's creeping in and once that settles in you may not be able to make it to me Timothy man you're precious to me I love you I want to see you before uh, before I die and so would you do your best to come to me so again very personal um, request from from Paul verse number 10 he, he references this this gentleman named Demas and we see the name Demas a couple other times in the New Testament he's described as a fellow worker with Paul in this missionary team and so what we see here is he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So I don't know what exactly was going on here, but what we see is that Demas, he fell in love with the world. And the scriptures kind of talk about, you know, uh, being choked by the cares of this world. And so, so he lost an an eternal perspective and he began to get wrapped up in his love of, of, of stuff and this life. And, and so Paul says it in pretty strong language. He says, Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So when you're hanging out with somebody and they, you know, uh, I have to go to Walmart, you don't typically say, why did you desert me, right? This is really strong language. They didn't just leave. They didn't just go. They deserted him. So there's the sense in which we were together. We were, you know, on mission together. We were on this team, and, and he's left me. He's, he's deserted me. And, and, and there's also this implication that maybe in deserting Paul, he's deserted or walked away from the faith, uh, and that's kind of an implication uh, maybe here. But he says Demas is, is gone. He goes on in verse 10 to mention Crescens, who's gone to Dalmatia or Galatia. I'm, there. I'm all twisted up now that I said that. Uh, he's gone. Titus is gone. Um, so th these individuals have, have, have left. They're no longer with me right now. Verse number 11, he says Luke alone is with me. Luke, he's speaking of Dr. Luke, the physician who uh, penned the gospel of Luke. He was also a companion of Paul on his missionary journeys. Uh, he penned the book of Acts because he was with Paul on all these missionary journeys. And, and so he was able to record all of the things that were going on. And so he's clearly a close companion of Paul. Luke alone is with me. Uh, he, here he goes into uh, another person here. He says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. And I love this. I love this because this ties back into something that, that we saw back in Acts chapter 15. And I want to just bring you up to speed on this because you may have read right past it uh, in, your, in your reading if you were in the Bible plan with us. In Acts chapter 15, what we see is that 
Paul and his, his partner Barnabas, they are traveling, they are spreading the gospel, they're starting churches, and they come to a place in Acts chapter 15 where they're getting ready to go back out on another journey, another part of their journey. And Paul and Barnabas have what the scriptures say is a sharp disagreement. Barnabas says, I want Mark, uh, or we, we also hear him called John Mark. Uh, he was the author of the gospel of Mark. He was one of their missionary team members. Uh, Barnabas, he's also Barnabas's nephew. So Barnabas says, I want to take Mark with us on this next leg of the journey. Paul says, Mm-mm, I, I don't, I don't want to take I don't want to take John Mark with us. And so it says they have this disagreement. I want to read um, this passage in Acts 15 to kind of tell the backstory. Acts 15, 36 through 40. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. In other words, Paul is saying, let's go back and revisit these churches and and these leaders in these churches and see how they're doing uh, in these places. And so verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take with them. And check out this description of John Mark. One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas have this sharp disagreement. The Paul says, I don't want him going with us. And based on the language, uh, you could, maybe the implication is that, that on one of their previous journeys, uh, Mark kind of flaked out on them and bailed out and left the team and left the work and left it undone. And so here is Paul saying, no, 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 I don't want to take Mark because of his maturity or where he's at. He let us down once. I'm not going to bring him with us again. And so it says they have this sharp disagreement and they go their separate ways. Barnabas takes Mark with him. Paul takes Silas and they go and, and do the work. So based upon that interaction, what we see with Mark is you see, gosh, maybe there's immaturity in Mark. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe he like Demas deserted Paul because of his love of the world. I don't know. I don't know what, what the case is. But what I love in the story is this little like, nugget tucked into 2 Timothy 4 at the, at the end of Paul's life. We saw Paul before go, uh, we're not taking Mark because he's not very useful to me. And then we come to 2 Timothy 4 at the end of his life and he says, Timothy, get, get, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. And at the end of his life, uh, we see like this kind of redemption story, right, with with Mark, that maybe he was immature, maybe he was doing his own thing, maybe he was, had walked away from the Lord, I don't know. But at the end of, of Paul's life, he said, hey, in, in my last moments, I want, I want my guy Mark with me because he's very useful to me for ministry. And so what you see in the story of, of, of John Mark is that eh, he may have not started out so strong, but he's finishing strong, Right? He's endured, and I, I love this, uh, th- this little phrase that's just tucked in there by Paul. Get Mark and bring him with you. Uh, verse number 12, he mentions one other name, Tychicus. Uh, I like to call him Ty. That's a lot easier to say. Um, but he says, I've sent him to Ephesus. So, so there's all these names, like name after name after name after name. 
that at the end of Paul's life, he mentioned some have gone away, but here's who's with me. Here's who I, like Timothy, I want you with me. John Mark, I want him with me. And at the very end of his life, it's about people, right? And I think every single one of us will come to the end of our life and it's gonna be about people, the people that we love, the people that are with us. And our lives are, are made up of people and our lives are made up of relationships. And life void of people and life void of relationships, maybe you're kind of in that place or you've been in that place in your life where you lacked healthy, good relationships in your life. You would agree with this, that life void of people and relationships is empty, right? I mean, if you doubt that, go watch the movie Castaway. All right, you ever seen that? Tom Hanks and his, his best bud, his volleyball named what? Wilson, okay, you have seen it. <laughs> um, man, if you ever feel lonely, go watch Castaway and you'll be like, man, wow, life is better than I thought. Um, so most people, regardless of their belief system, regardless if they would subscribe to Christianity, regardless if they believe the gospel, I, I think would agree that life is is about people and relationships. God has created people. God loves people. Jesus came and died to redeem people. Our mission is to reach people with the good news of the gospel. The kingdom of God will be filled with people. And so a gospel-centered life is about people. And we see that at the very end of Paul's life, that he, he reiterates this. We see this throughout his ministry and his life, that it was about people, but he comes to the end, and man, he's just calling out name after name after name after name. A gospel-centered life is about people. So what else is important to Paul? Uh, it's not just who is with me, the people. It's about what is with me, the parchments. The parchments. That should say verse number 13. And we'll read verse 13 that says this. He, again, to, to Timothy, he says, When you come, okay, I've asked you to come. Do your best to come to me soon. When you come, there's some things I want you to bring uh, to me. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Uh, in other words, remember he said later, do your best to come to me before winter. Uh, hey, Timothy, it's, it's getting a little chilly. Um, would you bring my cloak with me? Would you bring my, my coat with me? And then, then he says, um, so there's a practical need there, obviously, but then he goes on and, and he says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left, also the books. So we, see, we And we see this about Paul, and it's spoken uh, to him by some of the the. the um, some of the Roman leaders, like he's a learned man. He loves to learn. And so bring my books with you. Um, and, then, and then he says one final thing he asked them to bring. He says, and above all, the parchments. What are the, what are the parchments? Well, parchments, it was, it was literally written, writing on, on vellum. It was, it was a very expensive, um, you know, writing material. And so this was incredibly valuable. And, and there's not total agreement across uh, historians or theologians about what the parchments were. Um, you'll have a hard time convincing me, though, that those parchments aren't the scriptures. He says, bring me above all. Uh, when you see Paul's love for the word of God, like, I have no doubt that Paul was saying, hey, bring me my hoodie. <laughs> I want to stay a little warm. Bring me my books. Okay, I want to keep, I want to do my reading. I want to learn. Uh, but man, bring me above all, especially bring me the parchments. Bring me the word of God. Because I want to, I've given my life to the word. I want to, in my dying moments, have the word with me. 
And so these could have been the old, some Old Testament scrolls. They could have been his own, you know, some of his own letters that he had recorded that would become part of the canon, the scripture of, of God. Um, but he says, above all, here's what I want. I, say, I, want, uh, I want my word, the word, the word of God above all. And so, uh, second, uh, actually, Philippians 2, he, he says this, Philippians 2, among other places, he expresses his love for the word. Philippians 2.16, he says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul says, like, here, here's the deal, when it comes to the day, that when that boarding call comes, I want to have spent my life, like, holding fast which just means like holding tightly, gripping tightly to the book. I want to come to the end of my life so that I won't be ashamed that I've, I've run or labored in vain. But no, I've been holding fast to the word of God. And here, here's what I want to tell you is that I have no doubt that if you would continue to grow in the word of God, that if you would continue to uh, grow in your affection for the word of God, if you would continue to grow in internalizing the word of God, maybe this year for some of you have, has sparked something and it started a journey for you. Maybe others, it has grown you in your journey with the word. Uh, but here's what I'm telling you, that I believe that if you would give the rest of your life from this day forward, no matter where you've been before, to growing in his word, that you could come to the end of your life and say, man, I have... I have for days and weeks and months and years held fast to this book. I believe that you and I could come to the end of our life and confidently say, I fought the good fight. I've finished my race. I have kept the faith. But the inverse is true. I believe that if, if you and I come to the end of our life and there's come a point where we've let go of his word, we've dropped the priority of the word of God, I think we'll come to the end of our life with a lot of regrets. Going, man, I wish I had invested more in eternal things. I wish I hadn't gotten so caught up in love of the world. I wish I had given more to the Lord. But Paul was able to say, man, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith because people were important to him. People, the souls of people will last for all of eternity. He said, the word of God is with me. And this is important because the word of God is eternal. And so what is important to Paul in the end? Who is with me? The people. Secondly, what is with me? The parchments. And I'll finish up that thought by saying a gospel-centered life is about the word. It's all about the word. It's about people. It's about the word. Third and final thing this morning. It's about how he has used me. The proclamation how he has used me, the proclamation in verses 14 through 18. And honestly, throughout the writings and the life of Paul, you see this to be true. You know this to be true about Paul, is that his whole life revolved around the mission of God. His whole life revolved around the message of God and proclaiming that message to people. It's why he endured all of the suffering. It's why he endured all the loneliness. It's why he was sitting in a prison cell at the end of his life. It's because he gave everything to the proclamation of the gospel. And so he comes to the end of his life, and it's the, the, the thing that's important to him is people, the word of God, and how has God used me? How have I allowed God to use me to proclaim his truth to 
the world. We see in verse 14, and here's where it kind of, you know, everything kind of makes sense to this point, but then verse 14 seems kind of odd. He starts talking about this guy, Alexander, the coppersmith, all right? It's not Alexander Smith. It's very specific, Alexander the coppersmith. He did me great harm. Okay, so there's something about, and I don't, I don't know how Alexander did great harm to Paul. I mean, it's a pretty significant deal. It wasn't like, you know, the other names where he just said, well, uh, Demas left because he loved the world. Um, these other guys left because of other things. Tychicus I've sent away. No, he says, Alexander has caused me great harm. Now, I don't know how he did that. I don't know if it was a, a, a personal or a physical thing, a relational thing. Uh, I don't know what it was, but I know why. I know why he did him great harm, the, 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 the reason behind the harm that he did. If you read verse uh, 14 and 15, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I've, I've let go. I've, I've let it go. I've put it into the Lord's hand. Beware of him yourself. He's speaking to, to Timothy. Uh, again, a young pastor. He's saying, watch out for Alexander. He's done me harm. He may do the same to you. Here is the, the reason why behind it. Verse number 15, for he strongly opposed our what? Our message. He, he didn't, it wasn't necessarily that he had something against me. And maybe that was the surface issue, but there's, there was the issue beneath the issue. He didn't oppose me. It wasn't a personality clash. He opposed the message. And so Paul says, hey, I'm not taking this personal. Uh, I don't know what the deal is, but he had something against the gospel. There was some resistance that he had, and he took that out on me, and he did me great harm. It was why? Because Paul's life revolved around the message. Verse number 16, he goes on and he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And, and what that is, just to give some clarification there, there, there would typically be a first kind of trial or a hearing, we would call it, that would determine, okay, is a, is a true trial necessary? And so at his first defense, Paul says, man, nobody stood by me. Everyone, everyone deserted me. And you kind of see this, you know, he keeps mentioning this word like deserting me. They, they left me. And why did, why did people leave him at his first defense? It, it, was, it wasn't necessarily because they didn't like him. It was because his life was all about the message. It was about the message. And he, he goes on and he says that, you know, no one stood by me, all deserted me. He kind of echoes the words really of Jesus on the cross when he said, may it not be charged against them. You know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so Paul releases all of this. But, but verse 17, he, he contrasts what he's said, that everyone's deserted me, no one's stood by me. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me. And strengthen me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Let me again explain what he's saying there. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So you might be like, well, I thought that was, I thought it was Daniel, right? Wasn't Daniel the one that got thrown in the, the lion's den? Um, so there's biblical reference there, but that was also kind of the common language that meant, okay, he, he saved me from great danger. So the imminent danger for Paul at that first trial was that he was going to be immediately executed. And so God spared him, God rescued him from, from, uh, from death at that moment um, to await another trial. Um, but here's what he says, as the Lord stood by me, 
the Lord strengthened me, the Lord rescued me. But I don't want you to miss the reason why the Lord stood by him and the Lord strengthened him and the Lord rescued him. Was it because he loved Paul? Sure, he loved Paul. But here's what verse 17 says. So that through me, the what? The message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Don't miss this. Paul said, the Lord saved me. The Lord rescued me. The Lord delivered me. He stood by me so that through me, he gave me more breath in my lungs. He gave me more minutes on this planet so that I could proclaim the message so that others would hear it. You know what Paul is saying? He said, the reason I still have breath in my lungs on this very day is, is not for my comfort. It, it's, it's not for approval of others. He says it's to get the gospel out. It's to get the message of God's grace and love and kindness to people who do not yet know it. And until my dying breath, this is, this, is, this is the purpose of my life. And once God is done with me, he will take that last breath from me. But until that moment, he saved me, he's sustained me so that I could proclaim the good news of the gospel. And this is why he says in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, him, speaking of verse 27, says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this, Paul says, for this I toil. Like I give my life to this, all my energy I give towards this, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul said, this is, my life is not for me. My, not, my life is not about me. It's, it's for others. It's for the sake of others. They need the gospel. I'm going to get it to them. This is, this is why he could look back on his life with joy and rejoicing, with no regrets to say, I finished strong because even up until the end, and my life has been about proclaiming your message. A gospel-centered life is about proclamation. It's about people. It's about the word. It's about proclamation. Not keeping this good news to ourselves, but, but giving it to others. And so, as we come to an end of this calendar year, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, I typically get pretty introspective, maybe more, than, more so than any other time of the year. I don't know if it's because of... Um, you know, the, the, the season, the holidays, the family, um, things slow down. They kind of speed up, but slow down. You know, it's, like, it's just a season of introspection for me. Um, and I would just encourage you in this season of, of what I would call introspection or should be introspection as we come to the end of this year, I want to encourage you to take inventory on, on where you're at. And, and when you come to the end of your life, where would these three things, like how have you dealt with these three things through your life? People, the parchments are the word of God, the scriptures, and proclamation. Like people, do I care about others? Has my life this year been all about me? Has it been all about uh, my stuff? Um, what is my life about? Is it about the word of God? Like have I grown? And this, this is, I think, an important question. Have I grown this year in the word of God? 
Have I grown in it? Have I embraced the word of God this year? Have I taken it in? Have I heard from God more this year? Proclamation. Have I allowed God to use me to proclaim the gospel to others? So hard question, but if we're going to be introspective, a question might be, God, have I allowed you to use me this year to speak the gospel to anybody? And so those are some questions that, you know, if, if we're going to, if those are questions, if those are thoughts, if those are things that are going to be important to us at the end of our life, let's not wait until the end to address them. Let's start here and let's start now. It's, it's, it's not how you start. It's how you what? It's how you finish. Focus, focus on finishing well. I want to be able to at any moment, I want to be able to be ready to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Because honestly, that moment could happen at any moment. And so I don't care where you started. I don't care where you're at. What's important is where you go from here. Amen? That you would finish well. That you would live with gospel endurance. And so let me give you one final word from the scriptures, lest we make this whole sermon a try harder, do better kind of a, a message. The gospel is the ground for Christian endurance. The gospel is the ground for Christian endurance. In other words, endurance in our life is rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he says as much in 2 Timothy, a couple chapters earlier. I just want to read this, these last couple verses, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Paul says to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, if we have died with Christ, we, also, uh, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so let me give you a last word. It'll be on the screen here. But gospel endurance, it's, it's not about holding on. Okay, try harder, do better. That's not what endurance is about. When I'm running, that's what it's about. Like, keep going. God, give me another breath. Strengthen my body to like hold on until the end. Let me just make it on two feet across the finish line. Gospel endurance isn't about hold on. Gospel endurance is hold on to Christ who is holding on to you. Hold on to Christ who is holding on to you. So I, I struggled in the first service uh, sharing the story. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty personal one. I, I didn't think about until this morning. Um, going way back in my journey, and this is something I don't think I've shared with maybe anybody other than my wife until this morning. Uh, I, I went back to the beginning of my journey. So I didn't grow up in church, had no clue who Jesus was. Uh, I would have struggled to sit through a service like this, you know, had no understanding of who God was uh, until two weeks before my 17th birthday. And uh, a friend who had been kind of, you know, showing me what the gospel looked like and proclaiming the gospel to me, uh, took me to a youth camp. I gave my life to Christ, changed my life. I started going to church, um, was, was dialed in, started reading the Bible for the first time, uh, growing in my relationship with God. But I look back on those first couple years and I'm like, 
whoa, I was a mess. Uh, I, I did some, some ridiculous things, made some stupid decisions. I was very, very immature in my faith. And I look back in particular, you know, so I, I went through my senior year of high school being a Christian. That was my first year following Jesus. And uh, I was very, very obsessed as a young teenage guy uh, with being in a relationship, with, you know, having a girlfriend. And, um, and, and I, I had not had that previous to coming to Christ. And then all of a sudden, it was like, I have a new life. I'm a new creation, like we saw 2 Corinthians 5, 17 this morning. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know, Satan starts in and like, girls my way. And I was like, yeah, evil, stay away. Like, they started like drawing me away. That's supposed to be funny. Um, but man, I got so caught up. And it was like, uh, I remember in particular... You know, I had a relationship during my senior high school, and then I graduated. I was 18, 19 years old, and uh, uh, there was a girl that I worked with that I got into a relationship with, and she was not a follower of Jesus. And uh, we were unequally yoked, as the Bible would say. And uh, so we just started spending time together. We started dating. I don't know if the kids say that anymore, but I'm going to use that term. Um, and uh, I, I remember taking her to church a couple times, and I remember trying to, like, share the gospel with her. Um, but there came a point in our relationship, she was just, like, not really having any of it, but we continued to kind of date. There came a point where there was this crossroads in our relationship where she, she was about a year or two older than me. Um, and, yeah, I took a lot of pride in that. I was a cool young 18-year-old dating a 20-year-old. Um, so she, uh, she ended up making the decision to move. Uh, to Cincinnati, which was about an hour away, uh, and she was going to go to art school there. And so it was kind of like, well, here's where the relationship ends. Um, and I was just so, like, uh, I don't know what it was, you know, the, the affection of, of being in a relationship or the affirmation, whatever. I'd started kind of in that relationship with her, drifting from the Lord and from, from church. And some of my, you know, high school Christian friends in that youth group had gone off their different ways. And so I felt like a little, I don't know, vulnerable. So I started making, you know, worse and worse decisions. And I didn't have that, that, that faith community around me. I started walking away from the church a little bit. Uh, and I see that, like, there was this crossroads in my relationship with this, this young lady, and there was a crossroads in my faith, um, where she said, I'm going to move, and I'm going to go to school, and so, you know, we're gonna, we can't be together because, you know, we're going to be apart physically. And, uh, and I remember making a plea to her, um, hey, can I, can I move with you? And can I move in with you? Um, and I look back on that, and I'm like, what in the world was I, was I thinking? Um, and if she had said yes, I would, have, I would have moved. I would have, you know, picked up my things uh, and moved in with her. And I look back at that point in my life now, um, and I don't know where I'd be. If, if God didn't graciously allow her to say no, <laughs> uh-uh. Like, she shut me down. And I praise the Lord that she shut me down because I don't know where, I, I don't know where I'd be today. I don't think I'd be here. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing today because God graciously, even when I let go of him, he was still holding on to me and he never, ever let go. And so gospel endurance isn't, hey, hold on for all your worth, hold on to Christ because he is the one who is holding on to you. And so I want to encourage you to endure to the end. I want to encourage you to finish strong. But I want to make sure you hear this, that you and I can endure. We can finish well. We can endure because Christ has endured for your sake and for mine. And he gives us the power to do that. Amen.
And so, God, I just thank you so much for um, your hand in my life. Thank you that once you grab a hold of us, once we give ourselves to you and give you all of our heart, God, we stray and we wonder and we, we make decisions that don't honor you. God, I'm grateful that when you grab a hold of us, you don't let go. And so, Lord, I'm praying for people in our lives that we love that may have seemingly deserted you. God, I pray that you would bring them back. I'm praying that, Lord, if there's someone in this room that has strayed away from you, that you would bring them back. I'm praying if there's someone in this room that has never, ever bowed their heart or their knee to you, God, that today would be the day that they would do that because they would see in you this gracious, loving, heavenly Father who wants to interrupt their life, who wants to do a work in their heart, and who wants to change everything for them. And so, God, I pray that wherever we're at, um, Lord, I pray that your grace would be powerful and that your spirit would speak, speak strongly into our hearts today. Help us to respond with with repentance and faith. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.